Welcome to the Collective Intelligence Labs podcast, where we talk with the world's best leaders about an inevitable transition to the web-free-centric creator economy. Please welcome your host, CEO of the Collective Intelligence Labs, Alex Schor. Podcast. Hello, everyone. You are now listening to our regular podcast of Collective Knowledge Labs. Today with us, Professor Dr. Philip Sandner, who founded Frankfurt School Blockchain Center uh, and was ranked one of the top 30 economists by the Frankfurt, the major newspaper in, in Germany. How, how do you call this newspaper? Philip, help me, please. Uh, FAZ, uh, Frankfurter Allgemeine Zeitung. It's a uh... Uh, it's in Germany. It's a very, very well-known newspaper. Cool. Yeah. So I'm really pleased to have you here, Philip. Uh, we know each other for like already a couple of years, uh, but haven't seen each other for a long time. I'm sure we have a lot of things to discuss now in the blockchain field. There's a lot of progress. I'm sure you have a lot of progress on both academia, teaching, and like financial services you you do. So looking forward to discuss it. Yeah, perfect. Uh, happy to be here and uh, thanks very much for asking. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. I'm, uh, let's directly start about topics uh, you want to discuss. What I want to start first, like is what we usually do, uh, we discuss your path to blockchain world because like you, you're quite known in blockchain world, especially in the academia side. And um, I'm really curious to hear your story, how you end up in this wonderful space and because for academic i think it's uh it's a very interesting field and there's a lot of things to re research but it's also it's not also not a trivial choice right to be uh, as an academic in in blockchain world kilkulvis elaborate about about this a little bit like tell us the story yeah of course so um, my name is as you said philip i'm professor at the Frankfurt School of Finance. The Frankfurt School of Finance is a small university in Germany, but a small and speedy university. That's why we have a blockchain center and other universities do not have this. Um, the Frankfurt School is a university focusing on business and also IT, applied IT. And therefore, I think it makes very much sense to have a blockchain center at us. And among the 500 or 450 universities we have in Germany, um, the Frankfurt School belongs to the top 10. Yeah, so it's quite a good university, even though it's a small one, and maybe not everybody is knowing this university. I have gotten into the blockchain ecosystem by discovering Bitcoin back in 2013 when the price spiked to 1,000 US dollars at that point of time. And then the tech media I have been reading, for example, TechCrunch newsletter and Measurable and other newsletters uh, I have read at that time, they wrote about the Bitcoin all the time. Uh, so basically very tech-oriented newsletters. And then I got curious, investigated, I read the news, the, the white paper, and I was very fascinated uh, from the Bitcoin network from a technical perspective. And since then, I then it then became some kind of hobby over the years. And uh, since 2016, we have then set up the blockchain center. And since then, I'm investigating blockchain 24-7, day by day. And this started basically in back in 2016 or 2015. So this is five or six years since uh, I myself am investigating blockchain, crypto assets, now DeFi, NFT, digital securities, CO2 tokens, and all kinds of things 
on a daily level. And uh, I'm doing this, of course, not alone. We are doing this together with our entire team, which now has 10 people on the university side. Uh, that's basically where we are running all kinds of uh, projects. And what are we doing there? We are, for example, uh, running a program which is called DLT Talents. Um, this is basically a program where we would like to empower women for the blockchain field. And here we are educating at this point of time 200 women per year based on 1,000 applications we are getting per year from women who would like to get started in the blockchain field. From these 1,000 applications, we are taking 200 of women which we are accepting to the program. The program runs three months where people are getting some kind of coaching into the field. It's done digitally via Zoom meetings where we meet every second weeks over the course of three months. And this way, we are operating two batches per week, per year. And in total, we are educating 200 uh, women uh, per year. This works extremely well. And I would estimate that approximately 40% of these uh, people very soon find a job in the blockchain space. Yeah, We have some people who have finished our DLT Talents program, which have then gotten CEOs of crypto funds. Other people now work in banks or at startups. Uh, some of them have already founded their startups. So it works extremely well. And similarly, we also have set up a program which is called DeFi Talents, exactly the same way, but it's not gender restricted. So we are accepting women and uh, males uh, there. And uh, again, here we are running two batches per year, 200 people per year. We have uh, 1,000 applicants. And again, it's a coaching mode over three months per year in a bi-weekly coaching sessions. And again, here, you know, it's it's a brilliant group of people, lots of technical knowledge. Um, and I would also expect that many of these people very soon find a job in the DeFi space. And that's, that's just two initiatives we are currently running. We are doing a lot more. We operate uh, one of the largest conferences on blockchain and finance in uh, Germany. Uh, we are uh, helping operate the DEC Institute, which is out there for attestations of blockchain knowledge. Um, we are also op helping operating the DEA. It's called Digital Euro Association, where we try to really also push the European Central Bank to develop the digital euro in the right direction. For example, caring about anonymity of transactions and data storage and so on. And finally, uh, one of the projects I really like is the ITSA, the International Token Standard uh, Association, where we are providing tools such as classification schemes to provide some structure for the ever-growing token market where we see dozens of new tokens being minted and generated and issued week by week. And with the ITSA, with classification of tokens, we provide some structure to uh, to get some clarity what kind of tokens are out there. And therefore, we are taking any token out there on Ethereum, for example. We are classifying this token, whether it's a utility token or an investment token or a payment token. Uh, we have a, a six-dimensional framework for classifying tokens. And uh, we then also identify it and assign a unified number to the token. This gets even more important now that we see more layer one solutions growing. So we need to have um, one unified identifier for tokens which are running also across chains. One example is Tether, right? Tether is mm -hmm. one line on coin market cap. It, said, it tells us that the price is 1.00 US dollar and the volume is X billion US dollar per day. But technically speaking, the Tether project consists of 14 or 15 tokens 
because all these single Tether tokens are running on multiple layer one solutions. You have Tether on Ethereum. In the past, you had Tether on Bitcoin network. Now you have Tether on the Tron network and so on. So the entire Tether project consists of up to 15 tokens. And the same is true for um, other projects like Uniswap and so on, where we feel that this project is just consisting of one token, but this is wrong. In the background, you have many smart contracts interacting with each other, many tokens interacting with each other. And therefore, we are trying to create some structure here and uh, help people understand uh, that uh, these projects, which seem so so simple from the business perspective, are really technically structured in a very complex way. Thank you, Philip. It was really detailed and elaborated. And it's also, I think, like incredible how much you've done like for last years. I'm really excited about your school. I think like we really need more talent in the industry. Like everyone tells that we need more talent in the industry and not only programmers, but also product manager and like uh, leaders. And uh, and also about diversity is also a very big problem like in, in this space. Like most of founders, most of engineers are male and um, we, we definitely need like this diversity. And I think it will bring more collaboration to, to the space. If you know how like industry can help you, I think it's a good place to discuss it now. Uh, like what what would you need? Do you think like from industry partners to scale the school even more and basically create even more talent? What do you think about this? Well, it's it's basically twofold, like supply and demand, like always. On the one mm -hmm. hand side, we need to have people, young people, elderly people, everybody being more open and more curious because, you know, nobody educated me in blockchain. I did this myself. And Alex, the mm -hmm. same is true for you. Nobody educated you. You also did this yourself. And why is this working? Because you have been curious and open. You have invested time. And at some point of time, you get an understanding of, of, of what's going on in the crypto field. So we need to have more openness, more energy and more curiosity on the um, on the side of young people and elderly people who want to understand this, right? Nobody can expect other people to educate them. Education is also some, something you have, people have to do themselves. And to be honest, it's all written on Google. You just go to Google, type in Bitcoin, Ethereum, smart contract or whatever, and you hit the enter button and you start reading. It's not that difficult. It just takes some energy and some time which needs to be invested and then it can easily be done, right? Just take some time and some energy. On the other side, of course, we also have to have universities and schools and other education providers who uh, need to uh, provide structures, courses, videos, studies, study programs, and so on to help people getting more structure in the field with regard to education. This is slowly coming. And one important point is also at the end of the day, we need to, we need more funds, right? We have now running multiple workshops, certificate programs. We now also start a study course in the area of blockchain next year. And we have very successfully established the DLT talents program for women and the DeFi talents program for those people, um, regardless of their gender who are interested in the DeFi space, right? And we have, we have applied twice by the European Commission to get funding for them, for these programs. And they have rejected our inquiry to get funding for this, which is very, very, very sad and which also partly makes me a little bit angry because people are always saying that they are caring about education on behalf of politicians and authorities. And at the end of the day, we are presenting a program to educate women to get in the field and then you do not get money from uh, from the European Commission. This is 
pretty bad. Um, but it also challenged us to create this program such that sponsors, like private sponsors, companies would be interested in it because we are educating people they can potentially hire. And we tuned the program such, which is really good, that sponsoring companies are interested. They are paying us money to operate the program. And we are, of course, then placing them and their job offers such that ideally uh, companies are able to hire skilled people from our programs, right? So it does work. We do find private sponsors. It works very well. We are presenting ex excellent profiles of young people to the sponsoring companies who are then um, able to hire them. So this works very well. But on the other hand side, it's also not very uh, easy to convince people sponsoring such programs, right? So we need more money for such education measures. And we, of course, also need the energy and the time and the openness on behalf of people who want to investigate this technology. Yeah, I cannot say it better. And um, regarding the funding, I think it's also a crucial part. Like, And it's really sad that the European government is not yet recognizing the importance of this field. But I think like we can do as well with private money uh, rather well if we have right tools. And uh, here I come to my next question, trying to go deeper in this educational part of, of your activity. Uh, did you consider applying income share agreements for this specific course? We have a product for tokenization of income share agreements. That's why I know it. And it's, it's this product is specifically done to help funding uh, education for talents. Yeah, and it's based on income share agreements. How it works is basically when student comes to uh, any educational institution like university, but mostly it works best for boot camps where you have like short period of study uh, and you can uh, potentially get a job after like uh, three, six, nine months. And you study there for free, but you sign an agreement that you will be paying like 15% for your salary for the next two years uh, if you land a job in this space, in, in the space you've got education for. And, uh, and But you cannot pay more than, for example, some limit, some cap, like two times, for example, of the cost of education itself. So And it basically turns this, I say, into uh, investable asset because it can generate zero profit. You can put like pay for one student, for example, and it can generate zero revenue if student doesn't let a job, but it can also generate like 2x. And uh, financial model is done in a way that it's uh, like on a scale, it generates 15% profit per year. So, and when you tokenize this asset and open a secondary market, some companies can acquire these assets, especially if they're looking for a talent in this field, and they basically also can hire talent who has this asset and uh, it basically makes them uh, not only uh, investor but also employer to this talent i think it's very interesting um but uh, you know it's a, it, that that's the money part right uh, people also yeah. need to invest the, the time and the energy and the openness and the curiosity to get educated in this field right so therefore uh, i think it's it's excellent that you, that you provide such such tools 
But sometimes it's also not about the money. It's more about individuals' ambitions uh, to get into the field mm -hmm. and to, to really in, yeah, okay. But in case people want to invest some time, then this sometimes uh, involves some money. This is, this is pretty, pretty sure. So, um, is it already working? Are, are people using it? Oh, it's in pilot mode. Uh, but if you want to pilot it, uh, we can do it rather fast. And there's like not only us who providing the services, like we providing the services actually on uh, on blockchain, we on with tokenized assets. But there are a lot of providers who do it like with a, on a regular basis. Like some of them are really quite successful, and there are also some in Europe. The problem is that uh, you need to check if it works for Germany, because um, the problem with with ISA because it attaches uh, this income of a person to the agreement. It's not on always enforceable agreement in any jurisdiction. Like in some jurisdictions, it's not, not enforceable. So this is like what, what you need to check. Uh, but I think like in Germany, it works from, from what I remember. Yeah, interesting. Um, yeah, it would be interesting to hear more about it. Maybe you can can send me more information about this. Um, that would be very interesting yeah, yeah. to really see how it how it really works. It makes very much yeah, sense. Yeah, sure, sure. What about uh, education? I really do agree with you that people also need to be curious about this. They also need to be brave enough to explore this space. Uh, but also what I do see as a potential problem here in the space that blockchain field becomes more and more and more complex and uh, and the knowledge needed uh, to operate in the space grows but also from another hand we will have much better educational materials like we didn't have these materials uh, in 2013 when you entered the space right like you had did like a really deep research in order to really understand how the things works the amount of knowledge is growing and i think like what is needed we need to kind of promote this message that blockchain is not hard it's not rocket science it can be rocket science if you go deeper like into how cryptographic primitives work in blockchain but you don't need it like you, you just need to study it on a, on a level to know how to use it so what what do you think how we can solve this problem how we can make sure that people understand that it's for everyone yeah difficult question so um it, i i would perfectly agree everybody can understand blockchain technology but yes i i actually to be honest you know i'm not sure if we have to help here if we have to do it you know we are doing this podcast here uh, and mm -hmm. uh, doing uh, education we are trying to disseminate this this message in my mind, this is all what we can do and we are doing quite much in this field and yes, we can do more. But on the other hand side, you also once again need the, the openness, the time mm -hmm. and the curiosity mm -hmm. of those people who want to get educated um, because it's it's there is there must also be a demand side for this. You cannot push education, right? It's, it's Yeah, well, you can, but it's always difficult. You need the commitment and the buy-in of the people. Yeah, and what are like uh, characteristic of people who are coming? Like, wh what is their main motivation? If you like, did you study this? Like, did you uh, uh, do any polls when when you onboard people? Mm, no, we're not doing any polls, uh, but we talk, of course, to people. So I think what what people have a striving for are twofold. First of all, some of them would like to simply make a good career in a growing mm -hmm. field, and other ones are working, for example, in the financial industry. They see that their job might vanish at some point of time and they then decide about what should they do now. 
should they educate themselves such that they also have a job in five years and 10 years? Uh, so one is basically driven out of the opportunity, which is there, and the other motivation is driven out of the necessity, uh, which is also uh, partly there, that some, some people have to educate themselves, otherwise their job will vanish at some point of time, right? We see, we see both of this. Podcast. Now I want to talk about uh, another topic from your what you elaborated in the beginning is about uh, CBDC, Central Bank Digital Currencies. I myself a big proponent of this thing. I think uh, this is what can bring a lot of adoption. So and once we have uh, really working digital currency, even on permissioned ledger, actually it should, I think it should be permissioned ledger for for any country, for any government. And uh, one, but this system still can be rather open when people can start deploying smart contracts on these, like third-party smart contracts. Um, but it looks like there is still, we're still not there, you know, like, and we're still not there. And I think like, you know, uh, much better than I do, what is the current status of uh, digital euro, DLT-based digital euro in the European Union. Uh, what is the progress? What are the main challenges? What can be potential solution? So maybe let's go deeper in this thing and uh, and talk about this. Yeah, of course. Uh, so the question is, what about the euro in the future? Will we have the euro potentially running on a blockchain system or not? That's basically the, the question at the outset. Yeah. And we do see some inflation with regard to the euro. This is an entirely different question. So we are, you, you asked me about the digital euro. This can nevertheless be dedicated to inflation. So we are not discussing here Bitcoin versus the euro. That's an entirely different um, aspect. But imagine you would like to keep the payment structure in euro. Then the question is there whether it makes sense to have a digital euro running on blockchain systems, right? And then we see, for example, on the... On the eastern side of Europe, we see that China is really pushing this topic. They have investigated this topic since 2014. They are really pushing this topic of bringing the digital currency of China on some digital system, which most probably is some kind of blockchain system, and they should go live probably in 2022, right? So they are very, very speedily. It works uh, very well over there and it's government uh, driven. We're not talking about privacy issues here. This is once again another topic. And then on the Western side, we have the US. On the US side, we do not have the central bank, which takes action very quickly, like in China. So on the US side, we also do not have a government driven solution, for example, by the Fed or by other authorities. Um, and therefore, we see some gap here, right? Some gap between the US central bank, which is similarly slow like the European central bank, and the Chinese central bank, which is really moving ahead. So there is a gap with this uh, for the euro and also for the US dollar. And the question is now, what happens with this gap? For the US dollar, we already have a potential solution out there. It's called stablecoin. And the US dollar stablecoins, once they are regulated, maybe in a better way, then they might turn into something what we would call the digital dollar, right? I think the stablecoins mm -hmm. of, of today are morphing into the digital dollar of the future. And in Europe, we have neither a government-driven solution like in China, where, where there is really intensity and speed here, 
And we also do not have euro referenced stable coins, which could potentially morph into a digital euro. So in Europe, we don't have this. And in my mind, uh, that's, that's a little bit uh, dangerous because we do not uh, have enough um, development power, visions and understanding in Europe to really see what is the benefit exactly from a digital euro. And to elaborate on this, I think there are the following domains where the digital euro makes sense. First of all, it would make sense for retail payments. That's basically payments among individuals within the same country. Then we have payments going on in the industry. That's, for example, in case an automotive supplier is paying BMW for something or the other way around. And we have the capital market where payments are being done to settle digital securities transactions. Then we have the cross-border remittance domain where the euro is being sent overseas or coming back. And finally, we now have the, the DeFi and the crypto ecosystem where at this point of time, you have the US dollar reference stablecoins. In my mind, these are the key domains out there where the digital euro needs to be discussed. And based on these domains, multiple variants of the digital euro potentially are there and could potentially uh, be emerging. So the European Central Bank at this point of time drives a digital euro for the retail domain. So the European Central Bank is trying to do something like credit cards. And this is something I do not really understand because credit cards and uh, PayPal payments and also um, Apple Pay payments are working very, very well. So I'm not really sure why the ECB is pushing into this direction because we have a solution already and nobody needs another solution like the one which is already working since years. Especially nobody needs a solution like this in case this solution is there being developed and launching to the market by 2026 or 2028. Yeah, so this, it, it doesn't really make very much sense what the ECB is focusing on. Um, but they will probably tune their concept and then also have a, a better profile of what they are doing. But what is, what can be recognized, what they are doing is targeting basically the digital payments market of credit cards. Then we have the DeFi area and the crypto assets domain. This is where US dollar stable coins are already existing and they work also very well since the problem of volatility has already been addressed by US dollar stable coins. There is no problem anymore, right? So a euro reference stable coins doesn't add so much additional value. Therefore, we don't need it necessarily because the crypto domain is therefore populated by the US dollar stable coins. Then we have remittances. This is an interesting uprising field. So far, we have legacy institutions there in the, we are now discussing, for example, with El Salvador, the possibility of transfer money via the Bitcoin network, but also um, WhatsApp and Facebook or Meta is now exploring how to move US dollar stable coins on WhatsApp messages, for example. So again, here, um, a euro stable coin is not existing, is potentially also not necessarily needed. And therefore, there is one, once again a gap for the euro. And two domains left, the capital markets and the industrial domain. I think here we might have a chance in Europe producing solutions on behalf of banks who are integrating their bank accounts with regard to industrial processes and capital market processes. This, I think, works very well. And for this, you do not necessarily need to have stable coins. So here, I think um, there will be good solutions coming from Europe, but not from the ECB, but rather from commercial banks and also from um, private 
financial market institutions out there who are issuing the money, which can then be used on behalf of participants from the capital markets and from industrial corporations. I think that's that's a very brief summary of what's going on here. And you see here, it's geo geopolitical by nature. It's very, very, very important. And in Europe, we do see some progress on behalf of the digital euro for industrial domains and the capital markets, but we are not seeing enough progress for the domains remittances or cross-border payments, uh, retail payments, and also the uh, the euro in a in a format which could potentially be used by DeFi uh, sectors and also the crypto domain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, and uh, about uh, capital markets, um, why do you think these have say, potential more than, for example, um, cross-border payments? Uh, is it because, for example, uh, there is already quite a good solution for cross-border pay payments in Europe, like SEPA, uh, and uh, it's already free as far as I know? Absolutely. And uh, this is exactly the point. Uh, SEPA and so on is already working. And the, the considerations are now that you are you're integrating a payment network, which is existing today. That's the SEPA payments. You are integrating this payment network with a blockchain infrastructure. This way, you are getting something like the digital euro on blockchain system. The digital euro is not a token on blockchain systems. But at least it's simulating something like a token, right? You are because you mm -hmm. are integrating with APIs the existing payment payment infrastructure with DLT networks, right? This apparently might really work quite well, and some companies and some banks in Europe are really pushing this topic, and it appears to be working quite well, so to say. Yeah, nice. And what do you think about putting securities uh, on a ledger, having like? Um shares of companies and securitized assets also on the ledger so which can also enable innovation in this space and bring some like some protocols defi protocols uh and use it not for crypto but also for uh, another type of asset and like which potentially can have even bigger value uh, than crypto total market value of securities is definitely bigger than crypto even now but uh, I'm thinking about like when we bring this solution and some of these assets will be migrated to this new uh, DLT-enabled solution, I'm sure if there is enough services provided in this ecosystem, it will bring a lot of value, uh, even if it's done just in Europe. And uh, do you think potential here? Uh, and do you know maybe about any developments on, in this field? Mm, it's it's working uh, very well, and um, the, but it depends on the country. In, in some countries, this works very well. So in, in, in Switzerland, for example, this is all possible. In Germany, we have laws which are allowing parts of these um, digital securities on-chain. Others are yet to be developed. And in other countries, um, these developments need to be done in a way. So this is all coming, but it, it takes more time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like regulation of securities uh, is always like more complex, right? It's um, about all these issues and transfer of securities, all the compliance, uh, protection of investors. Uh, it's just like more complex field. Exactly. Podcast. Now I think we can also discuss a bit standards and uh, your initiative on developing standards for tokens um, cross chain. 
I think it's something really, really needed. So we ourselves, like uh, right now, working on extended NFT standard, which is issued on our chain and then can be breached to other chains. And we also did find that it's uh, pretty challenging like, to even just ag- aggregate all the standards in one place and accumulate this knowledge. And it will be really great to see something like this done by international organization, an inclusive uh, consortium where anyone can participate. Uh, can you please tell a bit more about the organization, how it's structured, how people can participate, how companies can participate? And what are the next objectives? Yes, of course. You know, it makes very much sense. We have two, three working groups. Uh, We have a WhatsApp group. We have a Slack channel. We are discussing things uh, primarily concerning DeFi. And we are always happy if people are approaching us. We are very open. We are very uncomplicated. But people need to uh, basically invest this little curiosity, openness, and um, time to Google us, ITSA, and write us an email, right? We are not getting many emails uh, out there from people who want to contribute or want to know more, but uh, we are very, very happy and we are replying to any email out there in case people want to investigate more about what we are doing there on behalf of ITSA. We are pushing all kinds of issues uh, where we are trying to improve and foster education. And further on, we are investigating more and more DeFi topics, DeFi protocols, how DeFi can basically add functions to the existing capital markets, how legacy companies can move into the crypto space. These are some of the topics we are investigating. And besides this, you know, I'm 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 still a big fan of Bitcoin and Ethereum, and there is always things to do and to research and to learn in these uh, very old domains um, called Bitcoin and Ethereum. All is relative, you know, but these projects have been now out there for quite some years. Okay, cool. So now I, I want to talk about something, what you've done in, in the past and um, ask you just if you consider applying this expertise and knowledge uh, now in the crypto markets. So I know that you were working on election forecast based on Twitter and uh, you have a couple of uh, rather popular articles, papers, I mean, scientific papers on this matter. And it looks like now these markets, uh, crypto markets, can be moved also with uh, with just one Twitter post. And uh, did you consider applying these uh, the same methods and on predicting elections results from Twitter, but now applying for a crypto market? Yeah, it makes very much sense. So what we have done, I think it's 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 more than ten years ago when we have in, uh, done our first research where we try to measure Twitter sentiment uh, with the goal of predicting share prices, stock prices, uh, also predicting the election of the US government, predicting the election of the German government. It has been a very, very, very intensely cited paper, which we have uh, written uh, really quite some years ago. And uh, indeed, people have done many similar things where they try to measure the sentiment of Twitter to predict crypto prices, NFT stuff, DeFi stuff, all kinds of stuff out there. It makes very much sense because you are um, reconciling two sources of data. On the one hand side, you have the the Twitter data where you can measure sentiment of stuff. And on the other hand side, you have the price information, for example, DeFi protocols, crypto prices, share prices, stock prices, company valuations, whatever. And then you are trying to measure uh, correlations and trying to identify significant effects for hypotheses you are then setting out. This works extremely well. 
and uh, it's it's a never ending possibility to do research in the field because now of course it makes very much sense to do this with NFTs and basically analyze NFT prices. Yeah, there is really much to do, and some people are already doing this and trying to exploit these 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 information. Yeah, I think it's there is a lot of potential in this in crypto markets comparing to stock markets. What what is also fascinating how much data we have like because like uh, there's a lot of data in blockchain which can be used for basically making these predictions even more accurate there's a lot of metadata not all this data available on stock markets uh, and uh, so therefore, therefore i think there's a lot of a lot of uh, potential in this field as well and uh, if you're doing right now any research any scientific research uh, you can tell us about or uh, are you focused on uh, crypto fund and blo- blockchain school? No, we, we, are, we are doing uh, uh, quite some research in the area of DeFi, um, DeFi protocols, DeFi yields, DeFi prices and so on. Uh, we do some some research there. And to some degree, we are also investigating here and there possibilities of the digital euro. Um, that's basically what we are currently doing. Uh, but also what we are doing on behalf of the ITSA, is also very interesting because here we are classifying hundreds of tokens uh, in my, uh, according to a six-dimensional framework. So to some degree, this is also quite strongly related to research. Mm-hmm. Any, any plans for publications of, uh, in next year? It's all published. It's all it's all on, in, on the web um, and we, we need to improve it. Then follow-up applications are out there. It's all there. We just uh, need to be better at marketing to shout it out on the market. I'll share the links in in this uh, in this podcast, so listeners can also take a look. Yeah, I think uh, that's pretty much it from my side. Like, and uh, yeah, it was really good to have you on the podcast. And uh, looking forward to the next one, so when we can also discuss some more progress on the fun side and maybe some more research. Uh, you've done like in um, maybe also some advancement in the school so all the uh, all, best luck with all the things you do I think like you're doing a like, really important job in the field um, in bringing more talent pushing some cutting edge uh, standardization and research it's really important for the field and um, thank you very much for joining the podcast perfect sounds good thanks for having me it was a pleasure thank you